Hello and welcome to the Journey Further podcast. My name is Nathan, your host, and this is a show all about learning from the people and businesses on a mission to do things differently. For this episode, I was really fortunate to speak to June Angelides. June started her career in banking before launching a coding school, Mums in Technology, for which she received an MBE. Now she is a VC at the London-based fund Samos Investments. The through line of June's career has been a constant fight for fairer representation and greater opportunities for women and people of colour. And particularly now, working in venture capital, June is focused on helping more female founders and more founders of colour get the investment they deserve. I loved speaking with June. If you enjoy the conversation, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review in your podcast app. Let's go. June, hello, and thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we'll start by asking you the question we kick off every discussion with, and that is, what's the wrong you want to write? Love it. Good question and a big one. But I'd say something that's always top of mind for me is how can I change that feeling that tech is a boys club and there is no space for for women and girls? And also redefining that thinking that female founders and founders of color cannot raise big rounds of investment. That's really interesting. And and you've had quite a a varied career um, up until this point. When did this uh, problem first sort of crystallize for you and as something which you actually wanted to actively try and tackle? So the first time that I realized that perhaps I had a bit of a calling in the world. I think, you know, prior to um, my second maternity leave, I was just a regular girl doing her work at SVB, just kind of getting on with things, never realizing that I was I was sort of meant to have any sort of dent in the universe and, and change anything. It'd be sort of like an activist. But I, I realized sort of in that two-month period after having my second child, I'd had a cesarean and I had loads of time to think. And I realized that, you know, I'd gone back to work the first time around with really low confidence and I wanted to do something different. I wanted to stay learning and obviously working with loads of tech companies. I realized that there was a big, big gap in, in me being able to ask those technical questions. So in wanting to learn about um, code and wanting to try and build something, I realized that there was a gap in the market and nothing existed for first of all, for mothers to to learn and upskill, let alone in the world of tech. You know, a lot of the coding boot camps were either really expensive or the meetups were in the evenings. So no one had really factored us in. So I really wanted to demystify that thinking that um, actually, you know, women want to learn to code. And I, I put out a, a MailChimp um, request and people signed up to my mailing list saying that they wanted to learn to code. I think I got about a hundred people come back to me in two weeks. And, you know, it was just, it started from there. I, I, I decided I was going to create this coding school for moms. I gave myself four months. It was a mammoth project given I, I wanted to be the student. And I suddenly found myself building this coding school but it was an eye opener. It, it made me realize just how many women want to get into this industry are 
you know, under the impression that it's a boys club, that there's no room for them, that coding is, you know, or technology actually is just being in this dark room coding away. But actually my intention was to really open up that world to them and help them realize that, you know, working in a tech company is so collaborative. There's so many different roles, all of which are equally important product UX, um, you know, the software side of things so really demystifying tech and showing them that there's a place for them luckily it's on the national curriculum so there's even more of an incentive to learn so that you know you can help your kids with their homework and and it's and it's been really important and I think um in that journey of running Mums in Tech for three years I met so many incredible women so so many incredible female founders which really was when that other side became activated and me really realizing just how stark the numbers were not many women were getting the investment they deserved which in itself is um, awful to think that you walk into a room and instantly you're underestimated founders of color are constantly underestimated and I think that that needs to change. And that's something that I'm constantly advocating for in all I do, whether it's through um, the education piece and spending time mentoring. And there is this thing that founders, especially female founders and founders of color are over mentored and underfunded. So I really want to see that change. And, you know, I think it's important to highlight those role models, those who have been lucky to raise those bigger rounds, um, showing that it can be done to you know, advocate for unconscious bias training, because I think the reality is, as investors, we're guilty of pattern matching. It's it's how it's always been done. It's it's the easy way out, I think. And I think um, the more we vocalize just how big of a problem it is, I think this needs to be constantly at the forefront of everyone. When you get your deal flow, when you're looking at your weekly list of companies you've seen, have you seen a representative proportion of the population like or are you just looking at guys who've gone to Cambridge and Oxford and have you know been through the investment banks it's so important that we allow and, and I say allow intentionally because these products need to get to market the products that are created by people who are representative of society otherwise we have this unconscious bias continuously filtering through in the products that we end up using because they've not been um, created by people who are representative of our, our the real world. That's really what spurs me on. I want to see a fairer, equal society, and and I think it's it's important that everyone feels that way. That's my hope. <laughs> Long answer. <laughs> no, that, that's really good. And there's there's quite a few things that I kind of want to want to dive into. Um, I guess just going back to mums in in technology to to begin with. When you first started meeting women who wanted to take part in the in the course and learn to code, what was their perception of that boys club idea? Did they have that that that's well part stereotype, but but very much a, a, a real truth as well in their minds that that was a blocker, or was was for some of them, I guess it was just a complete unknown what what this involved. Yeah, it was a mix, a mixed bag. Some of them had worked in tech companies, just maybe on the product side, or some worked in agile and. Um, just wanted, you know, project management didn't really understand what the techies did um, mm. just because that was never really broken down to them. Everyone just sort of got on with their jobs and worked in in silos. And, and I guess that you, you feel a bit intimidated if you don't see people that look like you on the other side. So perhaps in a lot of those companies, there were no women on the technical teams. So therefore, they didn't feel that there was a place for them. And I think 
this is why I advocate for representation because, you know, in, in everything we do, because if you don't see someone that looks like you, a lot of times perhaps you don't see yourself in, in, in those roles and in those in, in those industries. There still is, which is really sad, 17% of, of women in tech. It's a, abysmal. It's tiny. And it goes back to, um, you know, when you're at school, Many women that I came across were interested in these subjects, but were told by teachers that they should be pursuing the arts, you know, because it was more suited to them. And I think the boys are then pushed to to the sciences, which is why I love, you know, um, groups like Stemets and Kajigo, which is the app that um, I mentor, who are advocating for these sort of grassroots programs going into schools early, the point where the, you know, girls are likely to be making that decision as to whether to pursue um, something in the sciences or, or, or the arts and just helping them realize that, you know, you kind of, you can do it. There's, there's mm. amazing w- women who have built amazing things. Dame Stephanie, I think it's a, she's one of those role models who I think everyone should learn about and all the great work she's done. Anne-Marie Maffedon. Uh, there's so many, there's so many great women who need to be highlighted and for these little girls to see and realize that there, there's space for them. That's interesting. So like to to some extent, we're still trying to unpick the sort of divisions of those really old school ideas of what girls study at school and what boys should study at school. It's awful. It's really awful. It shouldn't be like that. Everyone can learn anything. And this is something that I, I truly believe, you know, when you're curious, you can learn anything. I don't believe that there are certain subjects for girls and boys. Are your own children getting interested in technology and coding they have no choice (laughs) (laughs) i'm their mother um but you know what because ivy she she's the mums in tech baby i called her my co-founder you know she was there from two months she was you know going across town with me to hanging out with you know founders of founders and coders hanging out with Catherine parsons at decoded going to code first girls and she was she was everywhere she's immersed in technology but I think more importantly, she she realized that mommy can do this. I could do anything. And she's, you know, every every week we, you know, we get um, tech will save us kits and she builds stuff with her brother. She's really curious. And I love that he sees that she's interested and they're building together. And I think this is so important that, you know, boys are also shown that girls can do these great things so that they grow up as, you know, ambassadors and, and and advocates for for equality this is what we want to see because i think if they have that perception that a girl can do anything then wow we're, we're really moving the needle hey there nathan here i hope you're enjoying the show so far just a quick interruption to invite you to join a very special club we run here at journey further it's called the journey further book club and it's a digital library for busy marketers, founders, and all-round ambitious types. We share bite-sized insight from the best non-fiction reads, all aimed at helping you become better at your job. It's free to sign up. Just hit the link in the show notes or head to journeyfurther.com. Now back to June. I'm, I'm just reflecting on the, this idea of, of a boys' club as well, and obviously very evident in technology I guess does does this also cross over to your experience in finance, which in 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 many aspects could be labelled with the same thing? Absolutely. I mean, this is why we celebrate every time we see a female partner being announced. Um, I think just 
in the last two or three months, we've seen about four more women rise to partner level at some of these large funds. And it's so important because representation at the table, diversity of thought, I think that is the key. And this is something I always say, it's not just about having different colors, different genders, diversity of thought, you know, people bring different perspectives and it's so important to avoid groupthink, but it has to be so conscious and, and it absolutely should be meritocratic. You know, sometimes we see those headlines we don't like say uh, a woman's been pushed to the top because of diversity. No, she worked hard. <laughs> That's why she's at the top. And I think women need to realize that they absolutely have um, a seat at the table. They deserve it. Put in the work, deserve to get to the top. And, and I think no one should sort of reframe it as it's a diversity um, agenda. But having having more representation is important. I think it will help, um, first of all, female founders to, to have a sense that, okay, there's someone really rooting for me. And, there, and the reality is there are certain issues where it's important to have a woman. If we're talking about a menopause product, you know, femtech is so important, underserved market. Um, and I think now it's really coming to the forefront I would say partly because we're seeing more female partners, because, you know, these discussions need to happen. They're uncomfortable because, you know, a man may not necessarily empathize as much, not because he doesn't want to, but he hasn't been through it. But having someone at the top who can really make sure these discussions are heard and really hold that conversation, you know, and, and give it gravitas, I think is, is important. And that's how we ensure that these companies get funded because they need to be funded because these are real problems that are happening and, and there's just no great solutions for women who are going through menopause. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I guess one of, the, one of the harshest criticisms of the sort of VC and startup world could be that often it's a lot of wealthy white people solving problems of other wealthy white people yeah. and often men in that mix as well as an overarching thing. But yeah, as, as you say, it's almost like you have to change those those inputs of the stimulus and of the problems which are being which are on the table to be discussed. Exactly, exactly. There, there was something you, you mentioned uh, earlier about female founders and founders of colour being being over-mentored uh, but underfunded. Yeah. Can you explain a bit more about what that means and how, how that plays out? Well, in essence, there's just, you know, there's a lot of talk. <laughs> there's a lot of talk. People are offering, which is great, you know, and I think there is, you know, that the, there is 100% a, um, an education piece that needs to happen to make sure that people are pitch ready when they come in the room. But ultimately, we want to see pounds going into those companies, dollars going into those companies, allowing them to have that firepower to really give it a good shot. Because I think at the end of the day, that's, that's what they need. That's what's going to allow them to hire the best talent, allow them to really have that firepower and make it a real business. Talking and talking and talking about the same issue. This is how we feel about the, the problem of, of women in tech and girls in tech. Put money behind it. You know, make sure that you're funding um, coding education to go into schools, allowing them to have these programs that will stimulate that curiosity and help them stay, stay on the on track and want to pursue these careers making sure that there's jobs actually available for them to do when they do um, go on these programs, go to these coding boot camps, hire them. And then you have this cycle because then they realize that actually it's paying off. The same with, with um, founders of color and female founders. If they're pitching, fund them. If they're great businesses, don't just say, oh, you need more mentoring, you need more time. Put the money behind what you're saying. Hmm. And is, is part of this a, a sort of, 
symptom of how these type of companies have to market themselves and grow their brands now is almost there's this expectation of uh, a founder having a big personal brand and being a big character and putting themselves out there being the very visible ceo and the the sort of the quieter character who maybe doesn't want all the attention on themselves might face a much bigger challenge, as you say, when they get to the pitch and maybe yeah. the, the VCs around the table are like, "Oh, I haven't heard too much about you. Like, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like you're you're competing against the other people in your space." It's a, how much does that play into it in your mind? So I would say that is a big problem, um, and it goes back to the pattern matching because you're comparing them to people who have had certain experiences because they've been to certain schools and they've been surrounded by certain people. So they're more confident. They're more certain that actually if it goes bad, you know, perhaps I come from a bit of privilege. So I can, I can still, you know, carry on building because I don't have to worry about finances. I don't have to worry about any dependence. And I think this is where it goes back to that socioeconomic background as well, playing a big role in how people have to just survive. I mean, the reality is, you know, when, you know, we talk about things like friends and family rounds, not everyone has access to friends with millions of pounds who can give you a couple, couple hundred thousand to start, you know, seed your business. So I think those sorts of things come into play when you're sitting in front of an investor. This is the first conversation you've ever had about funding you've not necessarily been an accelerator you don't necessarily speak in the same way that they're expecting you to speak and I think it's up to us as investors to check ourselves and say okay well is that what really counts how they speak how they come dressed or like where they went to school or are they solving an important problem have they got the curiosity the acumen to actually deliver on it can they attract talent and is this problem worth solving? Is this worth putting money behind? So it's 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 I, I think it has to be very intentional on the part of investors, but also on the part of the founder to come into that room owning it, owning your experience, because there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a different experience. We're not all meant to be homogenous. Um, and I think coming in and showing how your rele- your experience is actually relevant to you building this particular business. You know, someone like me who has Afro hair, and if I were to be starting a hair business, I think I got experience because <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I am the end user. I, I, you know, I've been through it. I felt that pain point of trying to buy hair and trying to do all this stuff. And, and I think that is so important that people own their journey and I and I think don't try and fit into a certain box that you feel that investors want you to fit you know you'll be wasting your time wasting their time own it be yourself show how your background is actually going to make you the best founder to build that business that 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 is really sort of inspirational thinking sort of practically then like what are the sort of initiatives or changes you're trying to sort of personally invest in to try and tackle some of these problems when it comes to the sort of vc world and the, and the startup world sort of what what are the sort of practical things which can be done to try and make a change in these areas yeah i think people are doing this slowly you're starting to see um people sort of 
staying away from the warm interest. I know that's hard because it's something that has always been done. If your your mate sends you a deal, you're more likely to pay attention. But I think making a conscious decision that if you say my inbox is open, that it's really open. And when those deals come in, that you actually give it as much weight as you would someone, you know, that comes in through one of your, your pals. So I think just being very intentional about practicing what you preach, but also making it possible for um, the founders to get a sense of who you are as an investor, your thesis, you're finding loads of VC. I think the, the pandemic was great in that it allowed everyone to slow down and become a little bit more accessible. So you found um, people joining in on conversations on Twitter, uh, people writing more medium posts. And, and, I, and I've always said to founders, read those medium posts and engage. You know, that's how I, when I was looking for my role in VC, that's how I got to know quite a few investors. I'd read their content, reach out to them, have a conversation. They want to talk about the stuff they wrote. That's why they wrote it. So I think mm-hmm. if you can find a way of connecting, there have been so many amazing virtual events, which have, again, been an opportunity to get to know the funds, get to know the partners and understand how they think and be in the same room with them and ask those questions I organized a couple events with Charmaine Hayden, who's a partner at Good Soil, and Yvonne Bajella from um, ImpactX, and it's called Female Founders Offline. And it was to really break down those barriers, giving founders the opportunity to be in the same space as investors maybe they ordinarily would never have come across. So we had Danny Reimer from Index, we had Antoine and Suzanne from Felix. Monique Woodard from Cake and uh, Mercedes Ben from Lightspeed. And it was so great just to be in a safe space where they knew that they could ask anything. Down to, I try to pitch my business on Afro hair and I didn't feel like anyone got it. How do I help you get it? And, and I think those conversations need to happen because they're awkward. You can't ask it in the pitch necessarily. So you want to know beforehand, how do I prep so that when I turn up, I turn up ready. That's really interesting. I I was thinking before this, I was like, how many more uh, sort of COVID related questions will I have to ask? <laughs> I was like, probably quite a few, but that's quite an interesting point about how it's maybe democratized in a sense, the, the interactions which yeah. people can have. Totally. I've had people slide in my DMs on Instagram and that's okay. That is so okay. I'm, I'm mm. fine with that. There's been some great WhatsApp groups, obviously there's Slack and, and I, and you're finding more investors and VCs being in the same space. And I think that is great because you get a sense of each other on a human level. I am all about that humanity. I'm not trying to be, you know, some (laughs) high and lofty person. I'm just June. And I think it's important that we see each other that way because I always describe it as a 10-year relationship. At the end of the day, you really want to get to know each other with some of the founders we backed in the pandemic. It, and we're still in this pandemic, but last year and in the heat of it all, you know, we got to, to know each other, you know, very informally over WhatsApp, did the background checks, but it was just allowing each other to communi- communicate in, in different ways, ways that worked for them, because mm-hmm. we don't have that opportunity to meet them in person. So you're slowly getting snippets of their lives. You're allowing them into your spaces. I had them follow me on Instagram. I follow them. And because we're going to be spending so much time together, you know, helping make that dream a reality. And it's so important, that human connection. I, I can't emphasize it enough. Yeah, that's interesting. I wanted to to pick up on a theme of, that I've heard you speak about before around failure. Uh, and I guess it, it ties into all we're talking about, about trying to get more underrepresented groups into, into these areas of business. 
what would you say have been your biggest failures or the things which haven't turned out right along the way and how have you processed those? Oh, that's a deep one. And um, yeah, I think having to stop Mums and Tech was hard. I couldn't make it into this massive scalable business that I had hoped. And it's it's a weird one because it was sort of finding the balance. And I think um, a lady called Adrian Hebert, which I think all your viewers should absolutely follow and listen, you know, listen to her Power Hour podcast and, and, and read her book. But she talks about, I think it's so important to know when to start something, when to let it go and, and move on to the next thing. And I think um, I struggled with knowing when to stop. Um, you know, Mums and Tech was started as a passion project. I never intended it to be this money-making machine. I started it because I wanted women to have access to to this environment where they could learn about coding to this community. It was never meant to make, make me loads of money because I didn't want to make it expensive. I could have because that would have made the business work, <laughs> but I wanted it to be accessible. I never wanted it to be at a price point that people couldn't attend on their mat leave because we all know what people get on mat leaves not much <laughs> so so that was very a very conscious thing but then obviously the realities kick in I, I needed to look after my family too so I think it was knowing when it it wasn't working for home the business was taking me away from family for you know a lot of hours I, I was sort of on my laptop a lot because I was doing it all by myself I had volunteers but when it sort of is all hanging on you you pour everything into it. And I really wanted it to work. And I found myself just sort of working constantly. And they were like, oh, mommy's still on her laptop. And I'm like, oh, but I, I need this to work. So it's like, it was like having another child. And it got to a point where it really was not working for the household anymore. And I had to figure out how to accept that, that, you know, Mums and Tech was going to have to stop. And it felt like a big failure. I felt like I was letting everyone down. But then I had to really weigh it up with, okay, but I've got family and they need me. So, you know, let's pause it for now and revisit it. And then it, it took about a year to evaluate what I was going to do next. And that was hard because I kept thinking, oh, maybe I can give it one more shot, maybe one more shot. And I think a lot of founders do this when it's sort of dying and you want to try again, but actually you need to know when it's it's okay to to say RIP and and move on to something else. But I think what helped me was understanding my mission. Once I understood what I really wanted out of Mums in Tech, and it was to help female founders, to help increase the number of women in tech, that allowed me to sort of reframe my thinking and realize, okay, well, if I can't run that, how can I still be very actively involved in still achieving this mission? So I I got on the board of Kajigo, which is all about, you know, mentoring um, girls and women into tech careers, connecting them with with role models and and really demystifying that experience. And I think for me, that was an amazing, amazing journey, being a part of that, being on the board, helping them to grow. So, you know, it's sort of I de-risked by having a full time job, you know, working on, on, on venture debt, but also I could spend my my spare time helping companies like Kajigo achieve their mission. And I recently got appointed to the board of um, Founders Ed, which is they're creating a, a free coding school. And again, it's amazing. So I think under if you understand your values, you can still find a way to do it in other ways. So you don't have to be the founder necessarily. You can still do other things that still line up 
um, and in the long run, you're still doing good. Yeah, if you know in the long term what you're trying to achieve, any what you might perceive as a failure along the way, you can very easily reframe that exactly. for yourself as well. No, this was just a step on a on a on a longer journey. Absolutely, it's so right. So June, we're, we're running out of time, so I've just got three final questions to ask you. The first one is, what did you used to believe that you no longer believe in? Uh, that's an easy one. That I, I used to believe that I didn't deserve to have a seat at the table. And Lord knows I do. <laughs> Definitely. I like that concise answer. That is perfect. <laughs> um, secondly, if this wasn't your mission, yeah, trying to get more women and, and people of color into technology and into those leading positions in, in business, uh, what would be? Yeah, big one. And I think I would I would 100% be some sort of ambassador, maybe for Nigeria, because I grew up in Lagos, you know, improve the image of Nigeria or or a campaigner for, for like human rights. I think I will always be some sort of advocate. I think that's in my DNA, but I would be advocating for, for equality. Mm. I mean, amazing news this week, watching the like inauguration and Kamala Harrison. Isn't um, that awesome? Like the first time I can follow POTUS since Obama left. I, I, I <laughs> yeah. refuse to follow POTUS on, on Twitter. <laughs> Back in now. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> um, yeah, it must be a really sort of inspirational thing for, for people to see. Absolutely. I mean, good wins in the end, which is so refreshing because I think we were all like, oh my God, was there a there was a tiny chance like he might get back into power and that would have just been awful to explain to my kids that the bad guys win. So this was, yeah. this is way better. It's like, okay, keep, keep doing good. You want to be like Biden and Kamala. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally, June, if you could recommend one book for members of the Journey Further Book Club to read, what would it be? I think Mindset. Mindset by Carol Dweck. Totally reframed the way I think about who I am, that growth mindset, I realize it's something that I, I work really hard at, at um, enhancing because I, I know it's so important for me to realize that, yes, things you sort of, you could have slip ups, but believing that you have that power to change, you're not stuck, has been really powerful in helping me, you know, constantly move forward, even when perhaps you know in the trickiest of situations in the pandemic I I look back and I I think having that mindset really allowed me to make lemonade out of lemons as they say literally so many opportunities I saw them and I created them because I I don't believe that I'm I can't do anything I mean you saw my sign believe it achieve it I literally do believe that I can do anything I set my mind to and that book has played a massive role in in that mindset no, thank you. I've not come across that, so I'm going to I'm going to look powerful, that powerful. June, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I think that the mission that you're on is is really inspiring and I'm I'm really excited to to share it with with lots of people when this when this comes out in a few weeks time. Uh, so yeah, thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the very end. I hope you're feeling inspired by the change June is trying to make. Do go and follow June on Twitter and LinkedIn to hear more about what she's doing to tackle these issues. I've dropped links to her profiles in the show notes. 
And finally, please hit subscribe to stay up to date with the Journey Further podcast. We have so much good stuff coming up in season two, including next week's episode where I speak to one of the UK's most prolific music artists, Frank Turner, about what he's been doing to try and save independent music venues up and down the country through the seemingly never-ending pandemic. That was also a fantastic conversation and will be out next Tuesday. So see you then.